Hello, everyone. Joshua Gilliland here. It's been a while. I'm going to make it a point to record more frequently this year because there's a lot of cases that have come out the last couple years, and we should talk about them. One issue that's very important to me is how to prepare privilege logs. There was a two, 2017 case where U.S. Magistrate Judge Gary Jones uh, wrote the following. As a general proposition, claims of attorney-client privilege and work product protection should be fairly straightforward in application. But as is, is the situation in most complex cases litigated in federal court, disputes frequently arise concerning whether documents are privileged. Raising claims of privilege and resolving these claims require the parties to incur great expense and ex expend extensive time reviewing, identifying, and litigating claims of privilege. This case is certainly no different. So this case was multiple pharmaceutical companies in a slugfest. And when you have big legal teams, you, you got transactional lawyers, you got litigators, you got people who are trial outside trial counsel, you can have lots of privileged communications. You can have lots of pr items protected by work product. Well, in this case, there was a fight over, you guessed it, privilege logs. Now, wading into this, we had two different, the privilege logs were prepared in accordance with a ESI protocol. The logs contained a family Bates range, location of where the documents originated from, uh, the privilege that was claimed, uh, the date, the custodian to from CCBCC, uh, the title of the legal personnel on it, uh, the privilege basis, and the description. You know, the, the dispute began, the parties were able to narrow down the issues through the meet and confer process. The first defendant had 391 records on their privilege log, and the second defendant had 434. The plaintiffs uh, attacked the claims of privilege on 138 of the documents. Judge Jones conducted in-camera review of, this, of the disputed documents on the privileged logs, in addition to an affidavit from one of the corporate attorneys. The court found that the privileged logs contained all of the necessary information to comply with both the ESI order that had been issued in the case, and more importantly, the federal rules of civil procedure. So the order required the following the nature of the privilege, the factual basis for the privilege, the date of the document, the name of the author and all the recipients, and when it, whether any person identified is an attorney or an employee of the defendant's legal department, a description of the general subject matter contained in the document and the type of document sufficient to allow the plaintiffs to assess the claim privilege and to allow the court to rule on the claim privilege, uh, the location of the document, again, where did it come from, and the custodian. By way of comparison, Federal Rule of Civil Procedure Rule 26B5 requires a privilege log to describe the nature of the documents, the communications or tangible things not produced or disclosed, and to do so in a manner without revealing information itself privileged or protected that will enable other parties to assess the claims. Now the court found, okay, sure, there could have been more detail, 
but there was enough to comply with the rules. One of the other challenges to the log was whether or not lawyers were identified on the specific community. It appears that the law contained designations such as legal department or outside counsel and not a name. Now the court's review of the communications found that the messages were between corporate uh, employees communicating legal advice from either in-house or trial counsel. The messages also contained information from in-house or trial attorneys to employees who were compiling information for counsel to provide legal advice or to assist in preparation for other litigation. One challenge with privilege logs from large corporate parties is whether a lawyer is actually on the email. The lack of an attorney on an email does not automatically invalidate any claim privilege because management level employees can discuss legal advice without losing the attorney client privilege. Moreover, the privilege also survives a challenge if the information discussed over corporate email was requested by an an attorney or created for counsel. The issue is whether the primary purpose of the communication is made for legal advice or anticipation of litigation. All of that is handy to know, deal with privilege issues. You still get the nuts and bolts issue of like, how do we do this? When setting up document review, I would encourage people to identify the privileges at issue and help use issue coding to explain uh, what a document is. If it's an email from a client to a lawyer asking for legal advice or an email from a lawyer to a client providing legal advice, uh, that does give a ballpark explanation that, that complies with the intent of the rules. But despite all that you can do with issue coding, you still might need to have a custom field in the database where you can put in a more detailed explanation so you can state uh, with more certainty on why something is privileged. That might vary with ESI orders. It might vary with local rules. Uh, It's definitely something that should be discussed during the meet and confer process to try to get some agreement, uh, especially in complex cases where both or all parties are gonna have complex issues of privilege. It's good to have that framework specified and then leverage the review applications as much as possible to make work easier and not harder. Because I remember as a young associate looking at documents and trying to prepare a privilege log in an Excel file. And you know, that was not the reason why I went to law school. That's, that was really time consuming and hard. Leveraging a review application, you can get metadata that has to, from, date sent, date received, all of that bibliographical information that you need for a privilege log automatically so it's not some associate or paralegal typing everything into an Excel file. It can be auto-generated and there are review applications that can make privilege logs when productions are run. I encourage people to check those out and find a workflow that works for your firm in a general sense. And with any complex case, adapt and update to meet the needs of the case. Really appreciate everyone who's listened today. Hope everyone's staying healthy and safe. 
And above all else, be well, everyone. Take care.